that God had given me a word for a particular time, it would be what I'm getting ready to say. It might not be for you. It might be for somebody online. Then again, it might be for you. And then again, it might just be for me. So just bear with me if needs be that I just stand here and talk to myself today. As we have seen over the, the past couple of weeks, 1 Kings chapter 17 describes in, in great detail some of the events of a man named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet, and up until this time, he was a relatively unknown prophet, but that was getting ready to change. Also in 1 Kings chapter 17, we read about another man, a man named Ahab, who was the king of Israel. Ahab's father, first of all, Ahab was a really wicked guy, ungodly, but in all fairness, it seems that he, he got it fairly. He got it from his father, and he learned it well, because his father was a man named Omri, O-M-R-I, Omri. He was the king of Israel for 12 years, and the Bible says in 1 Kings 16, 25, that Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and watch this, and sinned more than all of those before him. That's not something you really want to be known for, but that was Omri's claim to fame. So that's pretty bad, right? But as bad as Omri was, Ahab comes along, and in verse 30 of that same chapter, we read that Ahab did more evil than any of those who lived before him. So his dad was the worst to date, and then he comes out and just way goes past his dad. Dads, be careful how you live your lives in front of your kids because they're watching you. And be assured, whether it's good or bad, they will emulate the example that you've set before them. And mom, so you don't feel left out, that goes for y'all too. In verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 17, <clears throat> we read that because of the sins of kings like Omri and Ahab and others who were bad too, as well as the sins of the people of Israel, God spoke to this little-known prophet, this guy named Elijah, and told him to go to Ahab and say, the God of Israel says that it's not going to rain for the next several years until I say so. Some things never change. And you can be assured that when evil is confronted with godliness, there's going to be some severe consequences. And since most of the kings we read about in the Old Testament were not only full of themselves, they were also quite powerful, showing up in front of a king with bad news like this especially could mean death. But Elijah wasn't just showing up with bad news. He was specifically telling Ahab, because of your wickedness, my God, the God of Israel, is going to send a drought. All the crops are going to die. People are going to starve. And not only is it your fault and theirs to an extent, there is nothing you can do about it, and it won't change until I say so. Now, keep in mind, you're standing in front of a king that can just listen to that and go, kill him. As scary as that had to be, and in spite of all the scenarios that Elijah might have worked up in his head as to how it might end, in spite of all the stories that he might have heard about others who spoke against the king, Elijah still did what God told him to do. God still speaks to people today. 
And as it was with Elijah, if God speaks to us to do something, whether it's sharing the gospel with someone, praying with someone, stepping out into an area of service that we have never stepped out into before, or anything else, if God says to do it, we need to just step out by faith and do it. If we truly believe that God is omnipotent or all-powerful, if we truly believe that God is omniscient or all-knowing, if we truly believe that God is omnipresent or all-present, then what would stop us from stepping out by faith? There are a lot of possibilities as to what would stop us. But the top two things that stops Christians today are fear and unbelief. Fear in the sense of what if. Things like this. What if I do this? What if I go and tell Ahab what God is telling me to say? Or for us today, what if I go step out into what God has called me to do and I say what God has told me to say and then it doesn't happen? You think that might have gone through Elijah's head? What if I tell Ahab that it's not going to rain and before I get out the door and back to my donkey, there's a huge thunderstorm that hits. Am I going to look stupid or what? Another what if. What if Ahab is having a bad day and he has me killed on the spot? And while death was certainly an option, it didn't change what God told Elijah to do. And in spite of that what if, Elijah did what God told him to do. And then there's this next what if that maybe is the worst what if, maybe worse than death for some folks. What if someone makes fun of me? And once again, that was a possibility. And I would feel safe in saying that at some point, someone looked at Elijah and said, you're a moron. You can't stop it from raining. Go away. Get out of here. But let me tell you this. Probably after a couple of years of no rain, that someone, if they were still alive, and if they hadn't already died of starvation, probably changed their mind about Elijah. If God calls you to do something, don't worry about God doing his part. It's a promise. If he says do it and he says I'll be there, then don't worry about God doing his part. Don't worry about the consequences. And certainly don't worry about what people might say about your calling. After all, it wasn't them that called you in the first place. There is no one who can take away the call that God has placed on your life. So step out in, without fear. Step out with boldness, step into that calling with confidence that if God says it, it doesn't matter what anyone else might say. So, as I said, there are the top two things that, that stop most Christians today from stepping into what God has called them to do is fear and unbelief. We just talked about the fear part. And since the unbelief part is so closely tied to fear, you really can't separate it. And here's why I say that. Let me say this again. If we truly believe that God is omnipotent, that he's all-powerful, if we truly believe that he is omniscient or all-knowing, if we truly believe that he is omnipresent or all-present everywhere, then which of those what-ifs could possibly stop us? The truth at this point is if we allow the what-ifs to stop us, and hold on because this is going to sting a little bit, the truth is it's if we allow the what-ifs to stop us from doing what we know God called us to do, then the truth is we really don't believe that God is who he says he is. 
We don't believe that he's omnipotent. We don't believe that he's omniscient. We don't believe he's omnipresent. If we allow the what-ifs to stop us, then we don't believe that God can and or will keep the promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. If we allow the what-ifs to stop us, then we really don't believe that God meant what he said when he said, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. So yes, fear is a big factor. It is a big factor in us living out our lives in such a way that we never fully commit to what God is calling us to do. But if we're honest, we would have to admit that we're afraid because we really don't believe. Well, pastor, you just don't understand. I just can't be at church more than twice a year. I really can't invite people to be there because I'm not sure if I'll be there. I can't commit to a specific ministry at church. You know, I got a lot going on. I really can't give to the church right now because... We'll stop. You see what I'm growing. I will never stand here. Stay with me here. I will never stand here and tell you that anything God asks of you will be super easy. But I will tell you that you can trust him. I will never stand here and tell you that anything God asks of you will be convenient. But I will tell you that you can trust him. Looking over the life of Elijah, we can see pretty quickly that there was absolutely nothing that happened in his life that was super easy or convenient. The bottom line is that either we believe that God is who he says he is or we don't. And if we do, then we will do what he has called us to do regardless how afraid of how afraid we might be and regardless of the potential outcome or what people might say. Now, let's go back to Elijah. Let's get caught up with where we are in the story so far. We know that God told Elijah to go to an evil king named Ahab, tell him that it's not going to rain until I say so. So since that's something that can get you killed, God told Elijah, you need to move on. And he led Elijah to a place called the Kareth Ravine. And we see that while he was there, God provided food and water for him. There was a little brook that ran by. And then he had ravens come in and bring him bread and meat twice a day. And that was great for Elijah until the brook in the Kareth Ravine dried up. But God had not abandoned Elijah. In fact, he had something way better for Elijah. He had to end what was going on here so that Elijah could experience what was better. So Elijah trusted God. He stepped out in faith, and he went to this town called Zarephath. It was in Zarephath that God provided not only for Elijah. You remember back in in the Kareth Ravine, God was just providing for just Elijah. Now in this town called Zarephath, God was going to provide not just for Elijah, but also for this widow woman, a single mom, and her young son, who were literally on the very verge of starving to death. And here's the cool part. God didn't just provide a meal or two for this woman and her family. The Bible says that for the entire time of the famine, not just a couple weeks, but for years, the entire time of the famine, her flour and her oil never ran out. And then, as it is for us sometimes, in spite of God's blessings and providing for them, something really bad happened. The woman's son became very ill, and we read that he grew worse and worse, and then he died. 
God wasn't finished. He had not run out of solutions. This was not the end. Instead, it was just another opportunity. An opportunity for once again for God to show that he was God. An opportunity for Elijah to either once again see the greatness of God or pull out his list of what ifs. Elijah chose to see the great, the right graciousness and the greatness of God. He told the woman, bring me the boy. And even though she was mad at God, even though she was mad at Elijah, she did what Elijah said. Now, let me pull over and say this for a minute. Sometimes when things go really bad in our lives, we can get mad at God. But in spite of how we're feeling, we still need to follow the plan that he places before us, even to... To us, it makes no sense. So Elijah lays the boy on the bed, and he asks the Lord to let the boy's life return to him. In 1 Kings 17, 22, we, re we read that the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Everybody take a deep breath, because if that wasn't intense enough, it's fixing to get really intense. Three years pass. Three years of famine. Three years of, of drought. Three years of people dying. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, the Lord speaks to Elijah and says, now keep in mind, it wasn't bad enough you had to go and tell him what was going to happen. Now three years of this has happened, and Elijah, God speaks to Elijah and says, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain to the land. And the next verse says, so Elijah went, to present himself to Ahab. Just as simple as that. In spite of that probably not seeming like a good idea, God said to go, and Elijah went. 1 Kings 18, chapter 18, verses 2 through 8. This is a pretty cool part. So Elijah went to appear before Ahab. Meanwhile, the famine had become severe in Samaria. So Ahab summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a devoted follower of the Lord. What? Once when Jezebel had tried to kill all the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had hidden a hundred of them in two caves. He put 50 prophets in each cave and supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, we must check every spring and valley in the land to see if we can find enough grass to save at least some of my horses and mules. So they divided the land between them. Ahab went one way, Obadiah went the other way by himself. As Obadiah was walking along, he suddenly saw Elijah coming toward him. Obadiah recognized him at once and bowed low to the Lord before him. Is it really you, my Lord Elijah, he asked? Yes, it is, Elijah replied. Now go and tell your master, Elijah's here. Obadiah says to Elijah, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? What have I ever done to you to make you want me dead? You know Ahab will kill me if I do that. Obadiah then goes on to tell Elijah there's not a, a nation or a kingdom where Ahab has not spent people to try to find you. He wants you dead. And it's not just Ahab. It's also his wife Jezebel. It's killing everybody. Killing prophets. And you're, you're the main one. Everybody's out to get you, bub. But in spite of that, Elijah and Ahab meet. When Ahab sees Elijah, he says, Is that you, you troublemaker? 
verse 16. And Elijah says, I didn't make trouble for you. You and your family did that. And then Elijah says this to Ahab. I'm going to paraphrase. Gather all the people from all over Israel. Just go get people from everywhere. Remember, these people had turned away from God as well. Go get them and meet me at Mount Carmel. Oh, yeah, and bring about, bring 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. And Ahab did that. So once they're all up on Mount Carmel, Elijah tells the people, you people have gone back and forth between serving God and serving Baal. Now it's time to make a decision. So when this is all over, when we're all done here with what's fixing to happen next, if it proves that the Lord of Israel, the Lord God of Israel, if it proves that he is God, then follow him. But if it proves that Baal is God, then go ahead and follow him too. Then he goes on to give a play-by-play of what's getting ready to happen. He goes, okay, this is the way it's going to work. I'm just one guy all by myself. Over there are 450 prophets of Baal. Go get two bulls. Bring them back and let the prophets of Baal choose whichever one they want. Then have them kill the bull, cut it into pieces, put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. They had altars built. And then you guys over here, you 450 guys, then you can start praying to God that God answers by fire. And if your God answers by fire, then he's God. And the people said, eh, sounds good to us. These are God's people. These are God's chosen people who they had, the history of God had always provided for them, had always been there, and now given a choice, you're going to have to make a choice at the end of this, either to serve the God of Israel who has always been faithful or that idol over there who's made out of wood that doesn't really exist, that's really not real. And they went, okay, we'll see what happens. So the prophets of Baal prepared the bull and placed it on the wood and started calling out to their God. The Bible tells us that they called out to Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. And there was no response. They danced around the altar and there was no response. At noon, Elijah was starting to enjoy it. Look at verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. Surely he is a God. Maybe he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and you need to wake him up. Wow. You know what they did? The Bible says they shouted louder. And then they slashed themselves with swords and knives and spears. And midday passed and they were still dancing, shouting, and cutting themselves. And you know what happened? Nothing. Nothing. So Elijah calls the people to come to him, and they did. He rebuilds his altar. He puts wood on it. He places 12 stones around it, and then he digs a trench around the whole thing. And then he puts the bull up on the altar, and he says, bring four large jars of water, which they did. And when their water arrived, he said, pour the water on top of the altar. They couldn't get a dry altar to catch on fire. He says, pour, pour those four jugs of water up there. They emptied the four jars, and Elijah said, do it again. When that was done, he said, do it a third time. 
And scripture says they poured so much water on top of the altar that it ran down and it filled the trenches. That's faith. And then without any fanfare, without any screaming or cutting, Elijah steps up and he prays. This is what he said. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. That was taking a big chance. The only thing that Elijah had going in his favor at this point was the fact that he was doing exactly what God had instructed him to do. I believe he also knew that if it didn't work out, he was dead. That's exactly right. Verses 38 and 39. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water from the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. It wasn't over. Then Elijah told the people, Go get those prophets of Baal. These guys had had a bad day. They had really had a bad day. It was going to get a lot worse. Because Elijah had all 450 of them taken to the Kishon Valley, Valley, and there they all died. That was a really rough day. Remember, I said there are no promises that it would be easy. That there are no promises that what God calls us to will be convenient. And so far, again, we can see that for Elijah, it has been neither. But there's more. If you've been paying attention, you're probably thinking, but what about the rain? All of this, and it's still not raining. Elijah looks at Ahab. I cannot imagine the look on Ahab's face. (laughs) Wondering if that fire that came down on that altar was getting ready to come down on him. And he looks at Ahab and he says this, Ahab... You need to go somewhere and eat and drink. I hear the sound of rain. It doesn't matter that anyone else other than Elijah heard anything. But Ahab left. Let me say to you, maybe you're going through a dry patch in life. It feels like you've been living through your own personal drought 
It feels like you've been living through your own personal famine. If that's you, listen to me today. The rain is coming. The rain is coming. The rain is coming. God didn't bring you to this point in your life to abandon you. He didn't bring you to where you are today to kill you. He has kept you. He has provided for you. He has been faithful, and he isn't through with you yet. I hear the sound of rain coming. A rain that is going to wipe out drought and famine in your life. And if you don't hear it, that's okay. It is coming, so get, go get a bucket. Because it's coming. Oh, I just don't know, Pastor. It's coming. Trust God. He's never failed you. Now's not the time to give up. Now's not the time to bail out. So the Bible tells us that Elijah climbed back up Mount Carmel. He bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. It still wasn't raining. But now it was time. Sometimes we see God perform miracle after miracle in our lives, and, and then something comes along and we doubt. We doubt that he'll do it again. We doubt that if we follow him, he will be there all the way to the end. We question that if we answer the call and go where he leads us, that he will really do what he says. Will he really do what Philippians 1.6 says and help us to carry it on to completion? And we doubt that. We say, well, I know I've trusted God before. And then we follow that. But what if? It seems that in spite of all we have experienced, the questions still come. And maybe this was where Elijah found himself at this point. Maybe this is why after all that has happened, we see Elijah with his head between his knees back on top of Mount Carmel. He had to be beyond tired. Years of drought, famine following the Lord with first this thing and then another thing, and it's dragged out for years. I'm sure Elijah is thinking, is this ever going to end? But in spite of how he was feeling, he called his servant over. Doesn't say what his name was. We'll call him Bob. Bob? Go look toward the sea. Servant went and looked, and he came back and said, there's nothing there. And as Elijah sat there with his head between his knees, he remembered how God had said, go tell Ahab that it's not going to rain until you say so. And then he remembered that that's exactly what happened. It stopped raining. He remembered that in spite of standing in front of this ungodly king, that he wasn't struck dead. And as he sat there with those pictures passing through his mind, possibly at this point he said, you know, God said it wasn't going to rain, and it's been three years, it hadn't rained. And he looks at Bob and says, you know what, go take another look. And Bob goes and looks, he comes back to Elijah with the same report, still nothing. 
And then maybe Elijah's sitting there and still got his head down, and he thinks about those twice-a-day raven meals down by the brook Kareth. And as he did, a little something starts to stir inside of him. Maybe he even looks over at Bob and says, did I ever tell you the story of how God used ravens to feed me? Come over here, Bob. I got to tell you this. You know, sometimes when things are looking bleak in our life, it would do us good to get our mind off of our current situation, considering all, start considering all the things that God has done, and maybe share those things with someone else as to how God has always been faithful. And we might have to, to, to put this preface up front and say, I know it doesn't look like it right now. I know it might look like I'm struggling right now. And maybe you can't see it, but my God has always been faithful. So I'm just going to keep on trusting. But come over here and let me tell you about it. All of these things are probably going through Elijah's mind. And he looks at Bob and says, go look again. And he comes back the third time. He goes, nope, don't see a thing. Elijah still isn't giving up. He thinks back to those containers of flour. The container of oil at the widow's house that never emptied for years. And he looks over at Bob and says, go look again. And he comes back the fourth time and he says, I still don't see a thing, boss. But you know what? In spite of that report, Elijah starts to get excited. Maybe he remembers how that widow's son was raised from the dead. And by this time, he's probably not sitting there with his head between his knees. Instead, he's standing up, and he's looking for himself, and he says to Bob, just go look again. And he comes back and says, still nothing. I don't see a thing. Undotted, he sends him a fifth and a sixth time with the same answer every time, I don't see anything, Elijah. And now he's standing up. And he looks around. And there on the top of Mount Carmel, he sees that altar of the prophets of Baal. (laughs) Nothing had happened to it. It was just sitting there. And then he looks over at the altar that he had built. And he sees that God had not only burned up the sacrifice and the wood and the stones, but he had dried up all the water too. And by this time, he can't contain himself. His faith in his God was so great by now, even after the sixth time that Bob had come back and said, I don't see anything, he says to him, go look again. And I'm going to tell you, when he sent him away that seventh time, I believe there was something different this time. I believe that this time there was no doubt in Elijah's mind that it was going to rain. And I'm pretty sure if Elijah was trying to think of what am I going to say when he comes back, it wasn't go look at eighth, ninth, or tenth time. I don't believe he was even considering saying go look again. Instead, I think what was going through Elijah's mind is I sure hope Bob brought an umbrella. Because it's going to rain. It's going to rain. 
The servant comes back and he says, boss, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah says, that means rain. Elijah says, go tell Ahab to hitch up his chariot and get out of the valley because when it rains, he's going to get stuck in the mud. Keep in mind, it hasn't rained in over three years. So that is another huge statement of faith. And of course, it's another opportunity to look like a complete idiot if it didn't happen. But the sky got black. The wind picked up, and verse 45 says that a heavy rain came. That's not the end. No, that's not the end. After all of these miraculous things, God was still there. It says that the power of the Lord came upon Elijah in such a way that he tucked his cloak up under his belt and he outran Ahab's chariot all the way back to Jezreel. That's impressive. At times it seems like we all go through droughts in our lives. The droughts in our lives may not be like the ones in the scriptures that we we read about but they can still leave us lonely. And the droughts in our lives can leave us with doubts and questions. But no matter where you might find yourself today, if God is calling to you, he has the solution, so don't walk away. If you have never experienced salvation, let me tell you that it is a promise for you today And you don't have to leave here the same way that you walked in the door. God can change your life and fill you with his spirit, and you can leave here today walking in a victorious life. If God is calling you to salvation, you can come to this altar. Someone will meet you here and pray with you. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you've been saved for years. But you feel that God is calling you to a deeper commitment. As we come this morning... And pray. Would you just let God speak to you, encourage you? Maybe you feel that God is calling you to a whole new level of service for Him. And you're not sure what to do. There's a place here at this altar for you as well. Whatever it is that you're feeling, be encouraged. God has not changed since the days of Elijah. He is still faithful. And because of that, you don't have to leave here today with doubts in your mind. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your situation is or how desperate it might seem right now. It doesn't matter that getting answers to your questions feels impossible. It doesn't matter that the odds seem like they're stacked against you. It doesn't matter that you just can't see how God could possibly do what he is saying that he will do for you. You say, well, how could you say that? Well, certainly not to trivialize what you're going through. 
Instead, I say that to show you how big my God is. But if you still have questions, if you still have doubts, I would say to you today, and listen to me, God loves you. He knows everything about you, past, present, and future. And he still loves you. Trust him. I would say to you, look at Elijah's life. I would say to you, look at how many seemingly impossible situations this one man found himself in. And yet God was always there. I would say to you that you can do everything through Christ who gives you strength. And after I'd said all of those things to you, I would say to you, even if you can't see the clouds that holds the answer to your drought, you better grab an umbrella because it's getting ready to rain. Would you stand this morning? There are a lot of folks today, not just here, but in churches all across this country, that need to hear the words that Elijah spoke to the people before all the stuff started. And that was, you've been going back and forth. You serve God for a little while, and then you don't. And then you go over here and you serve idols. And then when things go wrong, you go back to God. And then you go back. And you've just been going back and forth. You need to make a choice. If God is who he says he is, you need to serve him. And that's a word to all of us today. It's easy to get distracted by stuff things in the world and there's nothing wrong with stuff as long as we keep it in its place but the Bible is very clear it says seek first seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all that other stuff will be given to you as well don't go looking for stuff and thinking when I get everything I need or want, then I'll go to God. That's what these people were doing. They were out there serving a, a bail, knowing that they still had the God, park, po, God card in their back pocket over here. And if I need him badly enough, I'll just whip out my God card. No. Elijah said it's time to decide. Today, it's time for all of us to decide. Am I going to live for God? And if we're going to do that, then let's just live for God. Let's give him everything we've got. Let's seek him first and just believe that he'll take care of all the other stuff. As we sing this morning, 
If you're in any of those categories that we mentioned, that pretty well covers everybody. Would you just come and pray? Let's just worship the Lord this morning.